0: Um, So, as as you guys know, we are doing a series in revival. Uh, Scripture says that we are meant to live a very powerful life, to be creative in an extraordinary way, to create life out of nothing, families of fruitfulness uh, fruitfulness out of alienation, and to change the world with no visible resources. And um, uh, this morning, uh, our... Community director, John Roberts, is going to be sharing about that. So as you know, he's one of the founders of Blue Water uh, and also one of the founders of our kind of community house ministries. So welcome him with a big aloha. Please join me in prayer. God, uh, I just pray that everything that's said today would reflect your uh, your spirit and your presence. Anything uh, that should be thrown away would just fall away and would uh, not be heard. And anything from you, Lord, would bear abundant fruit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, I wanted to talk about. We've been going through the sermon series of first. Jordan talked about when fear gets in the way. Then last week he talked about when. Uh, when disappointment gets in the way. Um, So this week I'll be talking about when the world gets in the way. Um, I wanted to talk through one of the most famous parables of all, which is the parable of the lost son. So if you have a Bible, you can look it up. Um, If not, it's in in the bulletin. We'll also have it up here for us. Perhaps we will not have it up there for us. So I will read it for you. But it's in the the bulletin. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Just a quick pause. This was very, very inappropriate for the son to do. Um, What traditionally would happen is that the younger son would get one third of the father's estate once the father died. Once he passed away, whatever was left, he would get a third. The older son would get two thirds. So to go to his father and say this would be like going to his father and saying, you know, I don't really care about you. I hope you die. Give me my money now. I'm out of here. So very inappropriate. If you knew Jewish custom, you would know that, but today we, we might not catch that because we're used to going to our parents and saying, hey, can, I, you know, can you help me pay for college? Can you help me with this or that? You know, I want, I want to buy a new car. Can you give me some money? Um, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Also, just so you know, for him to leave his country, for him to go away, this would be also very disrespectful in the Jewish tradition. He is going out of the holy land and out of uh, the appropriate spaces and going off to the wild land where he can do what he wants with the Gentiles. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He didn't even eat after the pigs, right? There was nothing left. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to share? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Bring the fatty calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Just a quick little pause. Notice the son was gonna say three things. He only got to two of them. He was going to say, you know, I've sinned against you, And against heaven, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he was going to say, make me a servant. He doesn't get to that. The father's already interrupted him. Celebrate! Fantastic. Fantastic character of this father. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatty calf because because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, have given me, you haven't even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If you've been around uh, Christianity for any point of time or even kind of in popular culture, you've probably heard something about the lost son. You've probably heard some of this story. It's one of the most famous ones of all. I want to talk through uh, the, pair of the the symbols. So who is... Who is the father in this story? Who's it supposed to represent? God. Always the easy answer. I like that. We can always say God or Jesus at church, and we're probably right. Uh, The second, uh, what about these two sons? Who do you think they might represent? Oh, religion and the world. Awesome. For me, I'm going to make it even more basic. Uh, I think they represent the two the two viewpoints we could have as the world—you know—we could, we could have two different thoughts uh, depending on how that plays out in our life. Uh, the young son, first, I want to talk about. He turns to the world. He leaves his home. He wastes himself. Uh, just so you know, sometimes this parable is called the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means to waste oneself, to be wasteful. Uh, He wastes all of his money, he spends it on women and reckless living. We don't have to look far in our culture to see uh, this kind of way of living, right? Of just kind of living day to day, of living for uh, pleasure. But in the end, the young son finds himself uh, not being able to eat. Not even can he eat after the pigs. He gets in a really, really hard situation. He becomes totally lost. The world will take more. It shows us that the world will take more than just our money from us. The world, in the end, takes away his hope. The world will always beat us down. The world will always break us down and destroy us. We can turn to it for whatever reason we want. But in the end, we will be in a very bad place. Hopefully, not as bad as this poor young son. But according to the parable, it seems, uh, the world will always diminish you. It causes me to ask some questions, uh, like, why does the son leave? Like, what what was it? You know, did he, was he just bored? Was he just not feeling very good inside, and so he was looking for something new? Was he uh, frustrated with his older brother? Was he frustrated with his dad? Did he not like his life? You know, what caused him to leave? Interestingly, the, the parable doesn't tell us. We don't know. We just know that he left. And on that time, for that time, with quite a bit of Inappropriate uh, ways of treating his father. Um, I'm partly compelled to ask the question of why he left. Partly because I live in K2, one of the community houses, and uh, just some some background on it. You know, we're we're a house that every now and then we take in somebody from the street or somebody who wouldn't otherwise have a place to live. Uh, we we you have the goal of changing people's lives, you know? It's like, at times we've tried to take in people who have had all kinds of addictions or tough things coming against them, some impossible situations. Uh, We try and recover them. We have a sister house, K1, which is still going strong. And I think between the two houses, we've probably helped about 150 people uh, throughout the whole length of time, which is awesome. Lots of people come through, yeah. Uh, K2, the house that I live in, uh, began about uh, almost two years ago, but not quite. Um, and it was uh, an investment, um, me and a friend from church, Elton Wong. You know, he was crazy enough to be like, hey, I think I should buy a house. And I was kind of feeling the same thing. And the next thing we know, we're buying a house together, which is terribly strange. Uh, I already feel a little awkward when I talk to my. Family about my life, and and then it's like you're buying a house with another man, and you're going to try and take in people and and help them. This is very strange. Like this is not. My coworkers obviously think I'm totally crazy. Uh, I'm a I'm a teacher. They're like this is not safe. I I always have people pull me aside at the copy machine. It happened this past week at the copy machine, making copies for class. And they say, I am worried for your safety. I'm worried that you might die. And I don't even tell them the best stories. I mean, they, d- they just have heard, like, story to story. I guess it's, it's spread or something. But I don't even... It's not like I walk around school um, talking about my life when I get out of school. But um, needless to say, it was an interesting start uh, with me and Elton in the house. Just a little bit of uh, background... Uh, K2 stats, over uh, over the time that we've been open, we've helped over 55 people have lived with us. Uh, that's not including people who have stayed like a couple nights, you know, a friend or, you know, somebody comes by, someone's like, I got to see what this house is about, so I'm going to stay a night. Usually they don't stay two, but um, <laughs> we have the least number of roommates we've ever had in the house is nine. That's the, la- the smallest we've been. Uh, the most... That we've had, we usually hover around 15. Uh, the most that we've had is like 20, uh, 20 plus, I think, on any given night. Uh, we four children have lived with us, and two small babies, two of them are small little babies. We've had uh, over 25 people who stayed with us were in extreme need. It was like either they were going to be on the street or they were going to stay with us that night. Uh, so that's almost half of the people who've lived with us have been kind of in extreme need. We've helped several, ch- several women who have coming out of human trafficking that were staying, have stayed at other of the, like the safe house that we have here uh, run by Vern. But um, at least two of them, well, at least one, a couple of women who've stayed with us are coming out of uh, hiding from abusive relationships. We've had individuals who struggle with almost every kind of substance abuse, alcohol, meth, or ice, pot. Uh, The youngest age of someone who stayed with us is two days old, who lives with us. Two days old. And the oldest was uh, my future grandma in law. Is that how you'd say it? I don't know. Anna's uh, grandma stayed with us for a bit. 81 years old. She loved it. We were all a little nervous that she might not. Um, We've become a little bit kind of famous in Honolulu of sorts. You know, we're not like Advertising ourselves or anything, but police have called us before brought us people through connections The police have 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 found somebody who's in extreme need uh, a a woman who was desperate Uh, why people from YWAM Leaders uh, leaders from surfing the nations have brought us people Uh, One of my best friend's mom's does a lot of outreach with uh, homeless people she periodically brings somebody to our door it's like good luck, you know. (laughs) You're you're the last hope for for this person. Uh, We have uh, social workers who have recommended us and brought us people. Blue water friends, you know, have just kind of said, hey I think this person's in extreme need. Occasionally one of our roommates has even brought us somebody, Uh, you know, somebody brought home a homeless teenage boy, you know, that stayed with us for a while. Most unique, I think, about the house is that there are no professionals. We are not professionals. We have no idea oftentimes what we're doing. We've learned now. We've learned. We've learned. I could give some good advice to somebody who's wanting to do something similar. We've learned and we've had some effectiveness of loving some people that are in extreme, extreme circumstances. But no one's a professional. No one stays at the house full time. We're, not, we're a recovery house that's based on, you know, restoration, extreme love, and discipleship. Uh, we often stay up late having tough conversations. We, uh, there are almost no boundaries between us and other people. It's like, you know, the, the amount of times that somebody I don't know is rehabbing off of some drug laying on the floor near me or sometimes in my own bed not with me in the bed too, but it's a lot, you know, and they're, they're shivering as they, as they recover. There's almost no boundaries between us and other people. Our people, are our current residents are music teachers, professional writers, a chef from Seed, a general contract laborer, an attorney, a cook, a school counselor, the best waitress at Seed, I'd have to say, personally. She's very good an electric engineer, an architectural designer, an Ace Hardware employee and carpentry student, a full-time student, a full-time mom who also cleans houses on the side. We are underqualified for the work and for the challenges set before us, but we try. Every day we wake up and we try again, and we try that day, and then we go to bed, and then we try the next day, and that's kind of our pattern. Over the years, we've seen many roommates wander off, uh, you know, we've seen them wander off, they've, they've chosen a different path. Uh, it's kind of like the prodigal son or like the lost son. In the early years, I was kind of crazier and I'd like run down to all the park and like try and find them and find them like high and drunk and, you know, with all these people and be like, you must come home. Come home right now. And that was interesting. and often it worked but pretty soon they would leave again and I found that the, the best way for somebody to change their life is that they choose to change their life. You can just offer a place and they get to decide if they come back or they don't. Uh, the other night we had a house meeting by the way I'm changing names so if I say a name it's not the real person so and don't even try and figure out who it is. Um, <laughs> the other night we had our, our house meeting and Really, I hate, I hate meetings. I mean, I'm a teacher. The amount of meetings I go to that are a waste of time and pointless is quite high. Um, I have a strong aversion to meetings. However, I kind of love our house meetings. You know, Ewing usually makes something delicious for us to eat, and we all have, like, a meal together, and they're really simple. Somebody usually says something like, you should wash the effing dishes. They don't say effing, and I know I probably shouldn't even say that in a sermon, but they sometimes say something worse, like, don't forget to wash the dishes. That's usually some part of our, of our house meeting. Uh, and then we talk about updates and ministry issues. We usually share what we're working on and what we've been strong in that week. So I'm really working to improve this thing in my life, and this is a success. You know, Here's what I need to grow in. Here's what I've been victorious in. Inevitably, our conversations turn to lost brothers or sisters, those who have wandered off, how are they doing, how best can we support them, what's the newest update, has anyone seen them, anybody have any word from God of where they may be, how can we best pray for them? Uh, This one house meeting recently, Elton, uh, because he's such a stud, had bought a cake because one of our people had been gone for a while and had kind of... Wandered off, they had wandered off, and then they had come home, and he was like, "I want to you know like celebrate their return, uh, and this seemed right to me you know it 's not quite a fatted calf, I think I said something like this it 's not quite a fatted calf, but it 's a chocolate halpia pie <laughs> seemed right you know I sh- sure that the lost son would have enjoyed a delicious piece of pie and uh, maybe more than a fatted calf if they would have had it at that time, sadly. This, this guy, Mark, didn't show up to the meeting, so we had this pie. We were ready for celebration, and even though he had just come back, so we were going to celebrate, he then pieced out within a couple days. Uh, we still ate the pie, but it didn't, it didn't quite taste right. You know, it tasted kind of stale. Excuse me. Uh, It's kind of as if it knew it was bought for a more noble purpose. It it sat in our stomachs. It was nice, but it wasn't quite uh, the celebration it could have been. And it made me think: Why does a man choose the street over community? You know, why does somebody choose uh, destruction? in drugs, uh, fake friends, over chocolate pea pie. Um, I think with the younger son we see something, which is we see that escape and success are the things the world attacks him with. I don't know the answer to the questions of why people wander off, but I observe that everybody compromises. All of us compromise. We have elaborate systems of escape for our compromise. You know, it could be things like drugs and alcohol, could be inappropriate relationships, sex. It could be things that are very much more like, well, that's kind of okay. You know, I I escape through movies and I escape through uh, Facebook and uh, screen time and video games. But we all make compromises. We all seek to escape the pressures of our life. At K2, we're honest about our lives. You know, nobody's like sitting there going, you are bad because you have this thing in your life. No, we're all saying, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need to work on. We're willing to address, address the issues in other people's lives because we love them, but not because we're trying to point fingers at each other. Our theology is that everybody's messed up. Everybody has things that compromise them. And we're better when we're honest about that and when we're real about that in community, when we help each other through that. The world will always offer you an escape. The world will always offer you something that seems like it's an escape and like it's good. But it's really a trap. Watch out also for worldly success. You know, the the son might have been looking for, hey, I could get all this money from my dad and I could wander off and I could build something great. I could have this wonderful life. But don't listen to that trap either. Run from worldly success. The world will offer escape and success but you'll never be happy with either one. The greatest success is seen in faithfulness to the commitments and to the family that God has brought us, wherever God has put us. That is true success. Anybody can run off and spend money on, you know, fun things, maybe destructive things. Anybody can do that. What it really takes, what's hardest of all, is sticking with faithfulness in the community that you're in. When I read the story of the, this parable, I also wonder what happens next. We don't find out. Like, the father comes and talks to the older son, and then we know there's a party. We know it's good for the younger son. We don't know what happens next for the older son. And really, I feel for him. Like, did what happened to him? Did he ever go back in the party? Did he just sit outside pissed off the whole time? Did he just stew in his own anger? Um... Did he join celebration? We don't really know. Uh, For the older son, two things I want to warn us about he turns to comparison and jealousy. These things will also destroy you very quickly in your life with God. The older son starts out mad at his brother, and really for good reasons. I really feel for him, right? He's remained, he stayed there, he's done the hard things, he wasn't disrespectful, he's been nice. He's been good. He's probably working somehow out there for his dad. Uh, I feel for him, you know, anyone can go and waste money. He's not done that. He's waited. He's shown respect. He's walked a harder road. And yet, we see at a moment where he could have shown a different character, he gets trapped. I like that uh, the older son is, is starts out mad at the brother, but then he ends up basically mad at his dad. He starts out mad at his younger brother, who's you know, and that's easy to be mad at him. Let's face it, you know, if we were in this family, we'd be pissed at this guy. He's disrespected everybody. He now he comes rolling back in like everything's. He actually doesn't come in like everything's going to be fine, but he's treated like oh everything's great now. This would make uh, would make somebody mad. However, the, younger, or the older son is now mad at, uh, at the father, which makes me, quite, makes me wonder, how many times in your life does comparison and jealousy make you upset with God? The more we live with jealousy and comparison, the more we will question God about his purposes in our life. The more that we look at someone else's life and think, gosh, they get it so easy, The more that we look at somebody else's life and go, why do they get to, you know, be celebrated? I mean, look at them. They're a mess. The more that it will cause a rift in our relationship with God. I love the father's reply. It shows us a lot of things. He says three things to his son's frustration. Also notice how the father has left the party just to talk to this son. So he's honored him in some way, hasn't he? He could have just let him sit out there. Be like, fine, you want to be a pain in the butt? You just stay outside. You want to be so moody? You just stay right there. We're going to have fun in here and eat a lot of this cow. You stay there. I might be tempted to do that, but no, the father goes out, leaves the party, leaves his time of celebration, his rejoicing, to disciple his his son. And he says, son, you will always be with me. In other words, your place with me, your place is secure. You're secure because I am with you, and you've chosen to be with me. Second, he says that all, all that is mine is yours. Eventually, the, the older son is going to in, inherit all that's left. He would get two-thirds, and remember, a third's already been sent to the younger son. So the older son's set up. He's, all, that, all that is the father's will be his. And then last of all, he says, it is fitting to make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. As I said, I've lived in a community for a long time. Uh, I have a, a, a story that kind of shows this. It's been almost seven years that I've lived in community, which is crazy. Um, and I've lived with all kinds of people, people just out of jail, um, people just out of seminary. You know, I've lived with people who scare me. I'm a little bit concerned. It's like I would pray, like, hmm. I had one person that I was pretty sure I got a vision from God of them stabbing me in the night. It's like, okay, we need to address this situation. This should not continue. Handle that situation. I've had people that scare me, and I've really had people that couldn't hurt a fly. You know, like people that are real pushovers. Uh... All kinds of people, every kind of person I have lived with. I'm pretty sure I could, I could say that very confidently. And I've noticed that nothing derails a ministry partner more than jealousy. Nothing will make somebody have a harder time in community than jealousy. Feeling like their place isn't secure, feeling like it's unfair how other people get treated. Comparison and jealousy will destroy It will choke out the life of your relationship with God, and it will choke out your ability to live in community. A few years ago, I lived with these two guys, Anders and Charles, and they were like the most opposite you could be. Anders was from a very rich private school, very wealthy family. He came to Hawaii to spend his summer relaxing, learning to surf, which he broke most of our surfboards doing, enjoying sun and waves. And Charles came to us right out of jail. He had had such an addiction to drugs. He had been put in jail for stealing and for buying drugs. And he came to us straight from there. Charles has no safety net in life. Anders has tons of resources. And it really, I I felt some compassion for Charles. I mean, the guy, like, it's tough. That is a tough thing. I, I have some safety nets in life. He did not. I have some great things to help me. Uh, you know, I've, been, I've had a pretty good family. You know, I've, I've had lots of good things in my life. He did not. He did not have people set him up well. And then, Anders, really, I really wanted to punch him in the face. Like, he really drove me crazy. He was arrogant, he was rude. He tried to dominate people. He tried to control situations. Everything was always about him and him getting his way. And nothing brings out my, uh, my ire more than that. It's like, I will deal with anyone except for the person who's a pain in the butt and should be better. You know, He, he could have been a different person. And this all got uh, captured in one little interaction. Uh, I knew it would not go well for Anders when I found this sticky note on the fridge. Communities are like this. People like write passive-aggressive notes and they leave it. They leave it on the, win- the mirror, you know. Don't touch my towel. It's like, if you ever want to have me discipline you strongly, leave one of those messages. You know, We're not going to leave passive-aggressive notes. You know, a little note on the fridge or the little note on the chalkboard. Oh, nothing drives me more crazy. Direct communication. Well, he leaves a sticky note, and I knew it wasn't going to go well for him. Right after Charles had made a sandwich, Charles, who has no money, who has nothing in life, he had made this sandwich using my bread, my meat, my lettuce, my tomato. And I was happy about that. I didn't care. You know, I'm thinking this might count in the next life. You know, this guy who has nothing (laughs) is making food from my... Limited resources. Great. This is going to count in the next life. Well, he made the mistake of using Anders mayo and Anders cheese. And so there's a sticky note that was left on the fridge, and I wish I would have saved it, because I save things like this now as little like relics of community living to look <laughs> back on. I wish I would have saved it. But it said, Charles, you owe me. And then he writes, cheese, 40 cents. Mayo. Ten cents. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, it's like, oh. Heck, kill the fatted calf. Give that kid the ice cream that you hide behind all the other stuff because you don't want to share it. Give that kid something. Don't count out cents. Don't nickel and dime a person in need. You know? He... He was dead and would hopefully come back to life. He was lost and has now been found. And Anders came to that with comparison, like, why should he get my stuff? You know, Why should he get my slice of cheese? Well, Anders, because you're a pain in the rear. He should probably <laughs> get some, and it would make you a little nicer as a, of a person. I'm hard on Anders. Forgive me for being hard on Anders, but um, I'm sure, but he's a lovely person to this day, and I'm sure that his little bit of time living in community might have opened his eyes some to other ways that he could live. The world plays out in these two characters. We see the world play out in the two lives of the young son and the older son. The older brother, he turns to entitlement, jealousy, and elitism. Whereas the younger brother is looking for escape, gratification from the world. And he's also turning to lust, it seems, from the passage. A couple takeaway points. God's overcome the world, so therefore we don't trust the world. God has overcome the world, so we do not have to trust the world. Another reality is possible. It's possible to be in the world and not of it. It's possible to live as we're supposed to live. It's possible to live in community and not lose your mind. It's possible for the older son to be forgiving and gracious. Not paralyzed by moodiness and jealousy, recovery is possible for the younger son. He doesn't have to eat with pigs. He doesn't have to be a hired hand for his own father. John 16 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The younger son finds a lot of trouble, but uh, we can overcome the things of this world, but only through trust in God. We cannot trust the things that the world, the the escape of the world, the um, insult of the world, the comparison of the world. We can never trust them. Celebration versus accusation. We have an opportunity when we see something go well in someone's life to choose that, to choose celebration over accusation, to choose to celebrate and say, "Thank goodness, this is great, this is wonderful." They don't deserve that. How awesome! How awesome that we worship a God who gives us what we don't deserve. We can celebrate with somebody and still draw boundaries and lines for them and that's what we do a lot in Kalihi. Uh, that's what we do a lot. You know, we, we're still willing to draw boundaries. You know, it's not that the younger son is going to be welcomed in and now just live however you want. No, he's going to live by the, the expectations of the father. He's going to live Uh, in reverence to his brother. He's going to live in community with those around him. All of heaven celebrates when one sinner gives his life to God. That's what we're told. So don't sit around moping and asking, does he really deserve this? We, like the older son, have a choice. Join in the heavenly celebration. Don't hang around complaining to God. It will make you a more fun person to choose celebration. Not only that, you'll be a free person and you'll be a strong person. You will be stronger and more powerful and that will make you entirely unique in the world. Anyone can get bent out of shape. Anybody can get insulted. That's easy. I would also say take one step. Take one step today. You know, who do you identify with? Are you like, I'm kind of the prodigal son. I'm kind of the the wandering son, the lost son. I've turned away in some ways. I'm walking my own path. I'm turning to escape. I'm turning to the world. Well, I encourage you, take a step back home. I guarantee it's going to be better than you think. It's going to be better than you think. The world, the walking our own way only leads to destruction. It only leads to a bad place. Or do you identify with the older brother? Like, are you angry? because someone's let you down? Are you disappointed with their choices? Are you just pissed that somebody uh, keeps uh, falling short? Has it caused some rift between you and God? I, I encourage you, take a step towards celebration. Join the team that welcomes them home. All of creation rejoices, I mean, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner returns. All of heaven, like all those angels, you get to join their voices. Like, do you want to sit there and mope, or do you want to join the voice of heaven? That's power. That will be life to your spirit. That will give you uh, encouragement in this journey. In all things, it seems like it's your choice. I love that it leaves where we don't know what happens to the to the son, to the older son. We don't know. Does he go inside? Does he just smile his way through that party at first? I'm so happy you're home while believing the right things. We don't know. But you have a choice. The younger son, he had a choice. He could have never come home. He could have chosen to just wallow in his disappointment and in his shame, but he comes home. We have a choice. We need to know that God is good and loving, which is what the whole parable is about. Wherever we're at, God is good and loving. God doesn't read us the right act. God doesn't judge us he welcomes us. Imagine how cool it would have been for the older brother to join in the celebration. I close with another story about Mark, the person who didn't show up for his pie. And uh, the other day, he came to the house in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. That's wonderful. Just to be clear, if you're ever planning on showing up at someone's house at 3 a.m., don't. He shows up at 3 a.m. I'm not terribly happy about this I go out to talk to him I was happy to see him but I'm sure I didn't look happy because after all it's 3 a.m. I told him that we would see him at church church starts at 9 or 11 I'll see you there and uh, he asked kind of can I crash here no you cannot crash here it's 3 in the morning you need to go and I'll see you at church He came to church later that morning, and after church, uh, we we got to talk with him. That was pretty powerful. He shared some stuff with us, which out of respect for him and what he said, I'm just going to not share. Um, But after church, we decided we're we're, going to go to eat. So we had another appointment, but we were like going to go to eat. And of course, he's in the car with me. uh, Mark is in the car with me. I had to look at what his name is. Uh, so he's in the car with me, and you know your life's interesting. And this happens sometimes with me, uh, somewhat often. Mark, who is ho- homeless, who's really stuck, who doesn't have much in his life to, to fall back on, says to me, John, I feel really sorry for you. That's how he starts out. I'm like, why do you feel sorry for me? You know, what, what does that mean? He's like, well, you keep trying with people, and they keep letting you down. You keep trying and, you know, they, they just wander off. It's like, I feel really sorry for you. I was like, look, any place that you're, you, you know, you need forgiveness, that that's a confession. You're forgiven in Jesus' name. That's easy. But, you know, you don't owe me anything. You know, when the sun sets, I'm just a guy who's trying to follow Jesus. Like, you don't owe me anything. I have so many issues in my life. I have so many things that I need to work on. I'm not sitting here like angry with you or judging you and uh, then we had parked and I said okay let's go of course we're going to the favorite watering hole of all Kalihi members which is Panda Express you know (laughs) it's like our sacred communion and uh, I'm, I'm getting the key out of the ignition and Mark's looking down at his feet and he says I can't go in. I said why can't you go in? He's like I feel so ashamed. I said well look a little bit of shame Just enough to make you want to change your life is a good thing. You know, that's fine. Just the kind of shame that causes you to kind of turn back and to start walking home and being repentant, that's great. You know, repentant really just means to turn away. Um, But the kind of shame that keeps you in a hot car with all these cockroaches that are in my vehicle (laughs) and not eat with your family who loves you and would be honored by your presence... Is the kind of shame that you say, you tell that shame, go to hell. Because that's where it's from. That's not from God. You know, you tell that shame where it should go. He came inside, and we shared a holy communion of, you know, orange chicken and fried rice. And it was great, it was beautiful. And I wish I could tell you I knew where Mark was now. I wish that he was here this Sunday. I wish that uh he was still at our house. But when we see him, we will welcome him. Yeah. When he's a far way off, we'll run to him and we'll celebrate. And that's what it is to be uh, a minister. That's what it is to be uh, a follower of God. I like this quote. Every time we we make a decision to love someone, we open ourselves to great suffering. Because those we love most cause us not only great joy, but also great pain. The greatest pain comes from leaving. When the child leaves home, when the husband or wife leaves for a long period or for good, when the beloved friend departs for another country or dies, the pain of the leaving can tear us apart. Still, if we want to avoid the suffering of leaving, we will enter. We will never experience the joy of loving. And love is stronger than fear, life stronger than death, hope stronger than despair, we have to trust that the risk of loving is always worth taking. So I encourage you, keep loving, keep trying. Keep loving and keep trying. That's all we have to do. If you're lost today, if you feel lost, return home. If you're not sure how that looks, come talk to one of the prayer ministers. Maybe you'll be greeted with a celebration you didn't expect. If you're jealous, quit complaining and join the party. Join the celebration. In the end, you'll be thankful that you did. I'd like to invite our uh, prayer ministers up. These people have uh, devoted a big part of their life to praying for individuals and for walking with God in such a way that they can flow with the Spirit. I encourage you uh, to go and talk to one of them. You know, if you feel like you're lost, take a step. That step might be you just walking up for prayer. If you feel like you're a little stuck in jealousy, go and talk to them. That could be the step of joining the celebration. And I will close us in prayer. God, we thank you that you are with us in all things. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you and your goodness. We do not trust the world. We do not trust our frustration. We do not trust our walking away from you, Lord. We trust you, I pray, Lord, that even now uh, we would fall a little bit more fully into your grasp because with you is love and consideration. Amen.